Welcome, everybody, to the Health and Wellness Show. Today is December 9th, 2016. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, and Tiffany. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Morning. So we are uh, missing uh, Gabby and, and Elliot today. We wish them well. Um, today, our topic is uh, aging is not just for the aged anymore. Um, so we're going to be talking about diabetes, uh, stroke, obesity, lower back pain, hemorrhoids, sciatica, a number of other diseases usually found in older people are beginning to strike children and young adults at much greater rates now. Um, people generally have the idea that they can enjoy life in their younger years, eat and drink whatever they want, do whatever they like, and not have to worry about diseases or illnesses until they are much older. Unfortunately, this mindset coupled with a plethora of toxic foodstuffs, which are available 24 hours a day, and increasingly sedentary lifestyles, uh, has led to a world full of youngsters living in elderly bodies. So we want to uh, cover that topic, and uh, we're going to talk about some of the the diseases of, of aging, uh, which are generally referred to as such, and, and how they're striking younger people and, and uh, toss around some theories as to why that is. Um, I think to start us off, uh, Tiffany, you had some points yeah, uh, just about wanted... what is what is aging, right? Yeah, I wanted to ask everybody what they think that aging is. Because when you look at a little baby and, you know, it's a newborn, you come back a year later, you don't say, oh my, how have, how you've aged. <laughs> but you do that with a, an older person. So you don't age when you're a child, allegedly, but you grow up, and then you have this kind of steady pattern, and then you degenerate. So is that what aging is? Is aging like a physical reflection of the passage of time? But then if you consider that time doesn't really exist, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) You're just going to stump the panel right out of the gate there, (laughs) Well, I just figured it's uh you know it's uh it's death right I mean death is yeah. a part of life you know and so at a certain point it begins um you know and you know like it, it, I guess sometimes I've thought of this as <clears throat> you hear people say you know they have a terminal illness or whatever and so now they're dying mm-hmm. uh, but technically we're we're mm. dying uh beginning at a certain point in life but you're right it's like there's an early point in life where you you grow up you develop into an adult at which at which point then you kind of begin to die Um, or could you even go as far as to say that you're dying as soon as you're born (laughs) except that it doesn't look like dying because you have to grow up first (laughs) right right (laughs) so i mean there's the standard the standard definition of uh you know aging being the uh the um uh, decay of the body, I guess, over time and certain things uh, cease to work properly and they lose their function. It's like we have a time limit on this biological body and that's what aging is. But it's a very interesting question if you dig deeper into it. Uh, yeah. It's it's hard to say exactly because isn't there – I remember hearing once that there's no uh, definitive way to say like take a blood test or a cellular test and tell how old that person was. Yeah, you know, they, they, they can estimate, but there's not like a marker that says they are X amount of years old. 
Yeah, like when the uh, well, uh, archaeologists go and they dig up old bones and they try to age it. That's not necessarily exact. And then there's telomere testing where if you're at the end of mm. your chromosomes, a little capsule on the end are longer, then that means you're more youthful. But it could just be that you're youthful, not necessarily that you're not old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like your bio, it's not your actual age necessarily. It's just kind of like if you've been living really hard, then you're probably going to have telomeres a lot shorter than the average person of your given age group mm-hmm. and vice versa. And it also comes to the state of mind. You know, do you, you hear women especially, I'm 40 now, I'm over the hill, and identifying with that state of mind of being not as capable as you were in your 20s. Well, yeah, society puts out this thing like when you get old, you know, it's just common or it's normal, really. Not common. Well, it's common, but they try to make it seem like it's normal that you should develop all these illnesses, like your back hurts, you get arthritis, you can't walk, and, you know, movies put out, like, like there's so many portrayals, stereotypical portrayals of old people on television and in movies as, like, just senile, feeble, old idiots just bumbling along, and you have to wonder, like, how much of that influences how you think about what a normal, older elderly person should look and behave yeah like yeah yeah I, you know it there are certainly a lot of people that defy that expectation mm-hmm. um i would think a lot of, like kind of like we had in our show description you know the toxic food stuffs the uh environmental pollutants the state of the world uh these days has contributed a lot more to that um now people, I've I've heard also people say like, you know, why would you want to go to the 19th century because you die when you're 40? Like, well, there are certainly mm-hmm. more things that could like uh, kill you in certain ways back mm-hmm. then. You know, like if you got uh, a certain type of uh, fever or if you got mauled an infection, by a bear. You know, or mauled by a bear, yeah, or people shot. get mauled by bears these days. <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> I, I think that. In that era that people that did live to be older uh, had a much better quality of life than they do now in, in old age. Well, one mm-hmm. of our chatters said that Eastern <coughs> cultures don't see the elderly as feeble as they do in the West. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems like uh, mm-hmm. in China, you see all these you know videos and pictures of older people in the parks in the morning doing ch- Tai Chi and Qijong and all that stuff. You don't really see that. I mean, you might have like a senior's yoga class or something, but it seems like definitely in the East, older people are more revered and respected than they are over here. In the West. And appreciated for their wisdom and life experience. Mm-hmm. And just healthier so, in general. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't like, put uh, them away in homes. You know, they keep them in the family. Uh-huh. As, as a role model and a sense of stability instead of locking them away in a home or facilities, Americans do. That's an inconvenience. What'd you say, Duke? Doug? I said as an inconvenience. Like it seems yeah. like uh, the aged are often looked upon more as an inconvenience in uh, Western cultures. You know, it's like um, they don't really have a place in the family unit the average family unit, you know, it's just kind of the nuclear family and, uh, um, yeah, aging parents can be a bit of a nuisance and they need to be kind of, uh, taken care of, stuck in a home, 
whatever the case may be. Well, now we have aging kids being sick, so parents are getting it from both ends. Like their parents are sick and their children are also sick. Yeah, we had an article on SOD about the state of Americans' children, chronic illness. And uh, there was a statement by Harry Truman in 1946 that a nation is only as healthy as its children. And in this article, they talk about how 20% of U.S. children live with chronic health, health conditions, and it affects their daily lives and normal activities. Um, it contributes to school absenteeism and requires continual medical attention. And some of the health problems, and we've talked about this in previous shows, the number one was ADHD, which we've gone off a lot about, so we'll skip that one. But things like arthritis, um, asthma, you know, autism is in there, but autoimmune disorders, cancer. I found it really interesting that now cancer is the number one killer of children. So it used to be um, accidents. Like what type of cancer? Um, Leukemia and uh, what else? Um, Give me a moment here. Well, we had an article on SOD about about the number one cause of childhood Mm -hmm. death is cancer. And the two things that they attribute it to, which I found kind of interesting, was environmental toxins and cell phone Mm -hmm. electromagnetic radiation. And they say in the article that uh, a child in this day and age is experiencing 100,000 more times uh, electromagnetic frequency EMF than they did in the last 100 years. And so it seems like uh, brain cancer is a big one. And, you know, thinking about just the energy it takes to take care of a child that way. So um, in 2005, uh, the U.S. Public Health Service estimated that cancer death rates in 1900 were about 64 per 100,000 kids. And now the number has increased almost threefold to 188 per 100,000 kids. And that was in 2005. Before the show, I tried to look up 2016 stats, and I went onto the CDC website, and they still claim that accidents is the number one cause of death for Mm. children. So I don't know if they're just not looking at it or putting it out there. It's the CDC. Do you expect (laughs) honesty from them? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but that is bizarre that cancer is the number one killer of children. I mean, traditionally, not that I'd ever consider cancer something that normally people should get, but it's typically just seen in older people. I mean, I was reading through, uh, reading about the Gardasil vaccine, and they had this uh, FDA meeting, and they admit it right there. The cervical cancer is the disease of elderly women, not young girls. Mm-hmm. Well, some more stats, um, you, you know, from this uh, chronic illness article that one in 10 children have asthma. Again, cancer is the leading cause of death with more than 15,000 children diagnosed in 2014. Food allergies affect one in 13. Heart disease is the fifth leading cause of death in one to five-year-olds. What? ADD, oh, we'll skip that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what this says, and it's all referenced here. 
Uh, juvenile diabetes has increased 23% between 2001 and 2009. One in six children have a de- developmental disability. Then it has 68 children are affected. One in 68 children are affected by autism. I would imagine that's even more now. Um, epilepsy, epilepsy and seizures affect one in 10, 20 children, and 33% of childhood diseases are caused by environmental exposure. Well, there was a study in 2008 where they tested 6 to 19-year-olds. Um, they looked at the thickness of their inner walls of their carotid artery, the artery that goes from the body up to the brain, and they said that uh, more than 50% of the 70 kids that were in the study, uh, they are about three decades older in their vascular age than what their actual age really was. And that some of the kids in the study had triglyceride levels, which were far above the healthy range. And one kid, his artery was so bad, they compared him to an elderly man. God. So is it anywhere that more... Younger people are having strokes than they ever did in the past. Well, it's interesting because there was a, there was a, an art, another article on SOT that said that stroke incidence is rising among younger adults, but it's actually decreasing among the elderly. Mm-hmm. And they just talk about kind of the el- the, the average age of um, people here. Let me just see the people who are having strokes. So, in the percentage of people aged twenty to forty five having strokes was up. 7.3% from 2005 and 4.5% in nineteen from 1993 to 1994. So whereas with the elderly, it's actually dropped um, by a fairly significant amount. Actually, um, in 1993-94, the average age of first stroke was 71.3 years old, whereas by 2005, it was down to 684 I wonder why that is, because it's not as if people are getting healthier, or maybe the statistics are wrong. And it says that, well, there's been other studies that are coming out that says that mortality rates or ages of mortality are getting lower and lower, at least in the U.S. So maybe the rate of strokes in senior citizens is going down because they're already dead of something else. (laughs) (laughs) They're dead on the inside. (laughs) <laughs> I have to wonder if too that if the statistics are transferred to something else, like you know, we we've talked a lot on the show about modern medicine and how um, flawed it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, uh, there are you know medicines that do stop and prevent certain things uh, while increasing risk for other things. And I wonder if you know there there is medicine to prevent strokes. I wonder if uh, you know then that increases the risk for other diseases. Uh, that then cause mm. people to to degenerate. So the statistic has been like transferred to something else. Um, but just That's kind of think possible, yeah. Because I've been hearing a lot lately yeah. about uh, Alzheimer's, which is something that you know I was aware of tangentially. Uh, mm. You know, uh, since I was younger, I had heard about it. But now it seems like the last couple of years I've been hearing a lot more about it. Like it's extremely, extremely common. Yeah. Well, what's interesting mm-hmm. is they're starting to look at Alzheimer's um, with the whole brain-body connection, too, where you didn't see that, you know, five to ten years ago. Mm-hmm. That, again, going back to that quality of life and and probably how you think 
is is contributing to that or whether you do puzzles or keep active mentally as well as physically. But on the other side of things, they talked, there was a, another article we looked at on, on SOT that said uh, air pollution appears to cause Alzheimer's-like brain changes in children. And it was a study where they kind of examined the postmortem brains of children and young adults that suggested that exposure to air pollution causes changes in the brain that are similar to those seen in Alzheimer's patients. Yeah, so that's so, coming back to those environmental factors. Exactly. I mean, when you think about the exactly. small size of the body, and maybe an, a grown adult can handle more toxicity, but a very small body with a developing immune system doesn't have the ability mm. to ward off constant inundation of toxins in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I hate to you know, beat the dead horse into the ground. But the diet issue, I think, is huge, too, just because, you know, what it's only been, what, 50 years, maybe 60 years, where uh, sugar, refined sugar and, uh, and you know, chemical preservatives have really dominated the, the, the food marketplace. Um, and now, mm -hmm. you know, is it any surprise that children are getting sick when they're young because they're, they're raised on, on a high sugar diet and, and processed foods, um, you know, that stuff is not food for the human body. And when you're started on that, when you're very young, um, you know, the, the results are disastrous. Yeah. And I, I don't even think we've seen the worst of it. Mm -mm. I think maybe just this last generation, maybe my generation, I forget what they call these generations now, generation X and millennials <laughs> or generation me or whatever. Maybe the last couple generations, we're going to start seeing that once they start getting older, like just how debilitated they really are. But speaking of Alzheimer's, wow. there was an article which was pretty interesting. They were talking about superagers, which are people over 80 years old, and they had the same amounts of amyloid plaques, which is the sticky clumps of proteins that build up in people's brains who have the symptoms of Alzheimer's. So these superagers had the amyloid plaques, but they didn't have any Alzheimer's symptoms. Mm. So what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, they still haven't drawn yeah. that, that conclusion between yeah. the plaques and, and Alzheimer's. I just, I just heard a show about this a couple of days ago. That was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a podcast where they were talking about treating Alzheimer's with light therapy. And they discovered that in mice, um, that had these amyloid plaques, uh, they, through a process of experimentation, they actually ended up discovering that they could basically just treat them with a certain type of light mm -hmm. in their eyes. There was no procedure, no nothing invasive, uh, and it reduced the amyloid plaques in their brains by 50%. Um, so <laughs> that draws some interesting connections with, like, EMF pollution and light exposure that we don't have. You know, we have more EMF pollution and, and less natural light exposure these days. However, they did admit when they were talking to this, it was a researcher from MIT who said that they still have not drawn this definitive conclusion between amyloid plaques and Alzheimer's. It's just kind of what they think yeah. is yeah. causing it. And the meanwhile, the drug companies keep putting out the drugs that target the amyloid plaques and doesn't make the symptoms better, but yeah. it just makes the person sicker. Hmm. Yeah. Which may, leads me to believe that maybe the amyloid plaques actually are have are a protective me mechanism. Probably. That the brain is actually producing these plaques as a way of kind of protecting the brain from some sort of onslaught. And um, 
you know, we just, you know, modern doctors just kind of look at it and go, oh my God, the brain's loaded with plaque. That must be what's causing Alzheimer's, but it might actually be protecting from what the actual cause is. Yeah, just like cholesterol. Purely speculation on my part. Just like cholesterol in your arteries. It acts as a protective mechanism. So I think you're correct, Doug. I think you should write a paper about that and publish it. (laughs) (laughs) It's called What I Think, based on nothing but pure speculation. But there was this book I read a while ago called How We Die. It was written about a doctor about the death process. And he said he combed through all these studies and they did autopsies on older people who died of natural causes. Like they didn't die of heart attack or stroke or anything like that. And they still had, you know, their veins and arteries were just as jacked up as people who had heart attacks or a stroke and died. But for some reason... You know, they passed away in their sleep peacefully. They didn't, you know, go out clutching their chests. Well, so. that kind of goes along with, and I can't remember the name who of the man that did The Dead Doctors Don't Lie. We did a show on it probably about two years ago about how most people are dying from nutritional deficiencies. Mm-hmm. But they don't put that on the death yeah. certificate. Yeah. Nutritional deficiencies, no. <laughs> Lack Probably of vitamin not. C. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting phenomenon, speaking of nutritional deficiencies, that uh, now uh, I think, you know, more so in, in our modern era than ever in history, you can have people who are uh, obese and malnourished at the mm-hmm. same time, mm. which is you know, yeah. which is just a weird, uh, you know, medically, you know, if somebody who has studied biology could probably tell me that that's not that weird, but yeah. it, to a layman, it seems weird. <laughs> yeah. Most people can't yeah. wrap their heads around it because you have all of this energy in the form of fat just sitting there is not being accessed. But if you keep yeah. eating and eating mm-hmm. the wrong types of food, your body doesn't know what to do with all that stuff. So it just stores it away and keeps asking for, you know, more food, more food, but you keep feeding it McDonald's instead of giving it some, you know, lard and some healthy vegetables and meat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my yeah. my uh, my dad, uh, well, my mom too, but my dad, uh, I'm thinking of as an example because when he was younger, he was raised on uh, rabbits. His mother oh. raised food hmm. food rabbits when they were kids. So that's essentially what he ate during his childhood was rabbit, and then. Uh, yeah, he was born in 1937, um, and he's now over 80 years old. And they live in a place where they regularly get snowed in. They heat with wood, and like he split his own wood this year. I mean, he's doing great. You know, <laughs> aside from a few, wow. a few, a few problems like inner ear issues and stuff like that, but otherwise fine. And he just did the standard meat and potatoes diet his whole life. So. But did they grow their own vegetables, too, and they didn't have GMOs, I'm sure, and wasn't bombarded with Wi-Fi? And... Yeah, I think a lot of that is true. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I remember uh, when I was younger, we uh, we'd go out to restaurants occasionally, and uh, we did eat McDonald's and stuff like that when I was a kid, but not every day. Yeah, that um, was a rare yeah, was treat. Always, yeah, it was always like yeah. home-cooked food, roasts, you know, vegetables, stuff like that. Yeah, I know families like every day, you know, what do you want to eat? Arby's, McDonald's, Taco Bell, every day. <laughs> Pizza. Yeah. Soda. So is it any wonder that extreme obesity is infect- affecting more and more children? 
because there was a, another article on Sat that talked talked about how extreme obesity is starting to affect more and more kids. Whereas like extreme obesity used to be something you would see in in adults, uh, now you're seeing it more and more in these very young children. Um, what did they say here? Just to quote, quote some stats: the top, the 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 kids who are being affected the most um, are black teenage girls. At 12, uh, 12% of black teenage girls, 11.2% of Hispanic teenage boys, and then in general, 7.3% of all boys and 5.5% of all girls. Now, that's in the U.S. So it's uh, it's a growing problem, and I guess it just goes to show how dangerous eating these kinds of foods can actually be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're in America, just go to Walmart. And you'll see. I mean, not to poke fun at people, but it's just kind of shocking how much things have changed. Like when I was in high school, mm-hmm. you'd have like a handful of, you know, overweight or obese kids. And yeah. you go to a high school, you see high school kids now, it looks like somebody inflated them. They just looked overstuffed. <laughs> and it's not like... It's kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just bizarre. It's bizarre that this is happening. It is a distinctly American problem, I think. Yeah, or Western, but I think mainly American. I mean, when I went to France uh, for school for a semester in 2006, I had a checkup from a doctor there to do, like, some of the physical uh, stuff at the, you know, sports and stuff at the school. Like, I wanted to play soccer. Um, so he had to have a checkup and the doctor told me I was obese and I was like, I thought I could lose a few pounds, but I didn't think I was obese, you know, but apparently medically I was actually obese. Um, so a completely different uh, definition of where that lies, you know, here you in, in America, you have to be, you know, plus 280 pounds to be obese. (laughs) Well, Well, I think that that also has to do with the, uh, the scale, the BMI scale. Yeah. The BMI scale is actually a pretty flawed methodology for actually looking at. Um, it's, it's actually not a flawed methodology necessarily, but there's a certain contingent that it doesn't work for. And I think that might be like tall people yeah. because tall people can actually be, um, you know, quite the, the proper um, weight uh, for their given category. But because they're tall, they kind of throw off the formula or something like that. Or people with a lot of muscle details. mass. Mm-hmm. Like bodybuilders would be considered obese, and they're not obese. They look like freaks, but they're not obese. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting how the uh, medical establishment in the U.S. wouldn't catch on to the whole diet thing, or that they just really shy away from it in so many ways, which could be a very... I wouldn't say easy remedy, but something, you know, obviously, hey, don't feed your kids soda and, you know, limit McDonald's to mm-hmm. once a month or something. And it makes you wonder if this whole thing is just planned to make money because what is it? I don't have the stats in front of me, but the medical expenditures, expenditures are just astronomical. I mean, it's. Well, I think that I think that speaks to the. uh the power of the status quo, uh, you know, and, and, and the, um, the, 
I am blanking on the name. The guy who originally propagated the idea that saturated fat leads to heart disease. Ansel Keys. Ansel Keys. Ansel Keys. And how that got, yeah. yeah. And how that got its root in the, in the modern medical establishment. Because I, when you said that, Eric, I was thinking most doctors actually would, I think, say like limit soda, Mm -hmm. limit sugar, don't eat at McDonald's every day. They would probably say that, but they would also say, Saturated fat is very bad for you. You need and, to avoid that. You yeah, they just hand them things, you know. They'd hand them yeah. a copy of the food pyramid or the dietary <laughs> yeah. uh, suggestions for Americans or whatever, right? And they're not. I mean, you might be better off than you know following those guidelines than eating McDonald's every day, but you're still not going to be in in very good shape. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Well, they hand out this right. pad advice like follow a healthy diet. And get plenty of exercise, yeah. but they never really define Say what those what that parameters is. are, yeah. and they kind of work for the from the assumption that everybody knows what the healthy diet is and what the proper exercise mm. they should be getting is. Yeah. Well, we had another article um, called "American Kids Sick as the New Normal," and this was uh, just published in December of 2016, and they talked about what we're talking about here. You know, asthma, non non alcoholic fatty liver disease in children. And um, the author says about how these hypotheses, you know, get about, um, you know, maybe it's too much antibacterial hand sanitizer, too many French fries or, or genes gone bad, but they fail to consider, you know, this uh, widespread continuation of sedentary lifestyle, mm-hmm. junk food, autoimmune mm-hmm. diseases, are increasingly prevalent despite few changes in sanitation norms, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we live in a cleaner environment, allegedly. But what I found interesting was they said, oh, we'll fight back against the cro- uh, age of chronic illness. And so they talk about diet. And the author goes on to say, you know, much, much attention has been paid to the influence of diet on gut and brain health and um, the importance of specialty diets uh, reducing dangerous inflammation in the body. And then they make a recommendation, and uh, they say, you know, sh- obviously avoid uh, refined carbohydrates, sugar, fried foods, red meat, processed meat, <laughs> uh, and vegetable oils like margarine and trans fat and certain other fats such as lard. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It kind of got lumped in there instead mm-hmm. of them doing the research that actually lard is good. And, you know, our grandparents used it and mm-hmm. they didn't have these same incidences of disease. And red meat is good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the, unfortunately, the common sense has been so tainted at this point that mm-hmm. if you rely on people to follow their common sense to, um, you know, get themselves back into a proper state of health, they're completely lost. Like they, they there is no common sense anymore. Um, you will, um, and inevitably end up following the, the food pyramid or whatever, and it'll just keep you in a terrible state. Yeah. Or they go the radical whole other way about, we well, just got to become vegetarian. Plant-based diet. Plant-based diet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Drink your kale yeah, smoothies totally. and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, the thing is, they might actually improve for a little while. Yeah. Because at least that would be getting them off all the garbage and the, the processed crap and the, but 
un- unfortunately, like long term, that is not going to do them any favors at all. Yeah, once they get over the initial hump, then they start to deplete all of their resources, and then it's just downhill from there. Exactly. Well, I can speak to that per- exactly. personally. Um, when I was 16, I weighed 150 pounds, and for my size, I'm a small person. I would be considered overweight, and I went on the vegan diet, mainly because I worked at a vegan restaurant, so it was kind of like the cool thing to do at that time. And in a year, I lost almost 60 pounds. And so, oh, it works, right? Um, But then I started getting all these other issues, mainly chronic migraines. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was like, well, I lost weight, but I wasn't necessarily healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I lost weight eating uh, gluten, dairy, whole bunch of carbs, yogurt, (laughs) eat whatever I want on a weekend. But I still lost a hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it can happen, yeah. There was. Yeah. Uh, I also at one point I quit drinking soda, um, but I was still eating everything else that's you know bad. Um, mm-hmm. But I lost a lot of weight just from that. Yeah. Plus, like, I was still well, young yeah. at the time, and yeah. I wasn't eating as much as I used to. And plus, I was exercising. So when you're young, you can snap back from things a little bit easier than you can if you're older. Yeah, hmm. but now we have a nation of well, people of who are just not going to snap back. <laughs> They're snapped. Yeah, and it's not just yeah. the food. It's I mean, like one of- so many of the kids today. Like I know kids that don't go outside to play at all. Like maybe they'll get mm. to go out on the playground uh, at school during recess, but when they come home, mm-hmm. it's television or video games. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was that article? Varicose veins and hemorrhoids? Yeah, and young people. Not necessarily children, but, you know, college age. 20s and 30s. Yeah, and that's yeah. still too young. Chronic knee joint problems, bad postures, text neck. Yeah. Back pain and sciatica. Mm. You know, yeah. just those little gripes that make an older person go ooch ouch when they stand up and walk. I mean, if you're 25 years old, you shouldn't be going ooch ouch. <laughs> yeah, this article no. was saying that, um, what is it, arthroscopic knee operations were even one of the five most common procedures among 16 to 25-year-olds? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I had, I had arthroscopic shoulder surgery when I was 16. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, for, See, uh, I, I know that that article... Oh, Sorry, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. I, I was just gonna say. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say that I, I think that the uh, that although that article uh, tends to put a lot like, like lay a lot of the blame onto the sedentary lifestyle, and certainly I I do think that that has a lot to do with it, but I think it again kind of comes back to diet as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because um, a lot of the the weakening of these body systems and stuff is through. Uh, either not getting the proper um, nutrition to to fortify them mm-hmm. or the fact that um, there's so much oxidation going on um, with free radicals coming from the diet, coming from EMFs, coming from chemical exposure, all these different kinds of things. Being on a high sugar diet um, causes all this free radicals and that causes free radical damage and it will inflame any given tissue. Um, you know, for certain people it might... Um, 
actually uh, weaken the venous system, which is when you're going to see things like uh, uh, varicose veins and hemorrhoids. Um, and, you know, the, the knee, pro- knee joint problems or joint problems in general, I mean, it all kind of comes back to this, um, the dietary issues, um, yeah, especially you know, when people are so low in vitamin C these days. Yeah, inflammation or like a lack of vitamin C so they can't make the connective tissue that they need to be, you know, to be uh, building things like veins and arteries and joints and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's like I, I really think a lot of it comes down to malnutrition. And I wonder if somebody was like, you know, eating a really good diet, if they could sit around like a lump and mm-hmm. still <laughs> relatively okay. I'd like to see a study done. Maybe this is another study I should do. Um, yes. Do a study where I feed somebody nothing but good stuff, um, put them on a ketogenic diet, lots of antioxidants in there, and like tell them, well, you're not allowed to leave the couch. <laughs> we'll see what happens. The problem is they're going to have so much energy they would go uh, they would go nuts because they, they can like jump up and down on the couch. They'd get it. diagnosed with ADHD. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's a worthwhile study, Doug. How funded if yeah, you really totally. want to do it? Okay. <laughs> no, I, I think n- no matter what the diet, you just need exercise just to keep your muscles supple and, you know, your yeah. joints from going stiff. You need a little bit of movement. Whether you should join a gym and start doing CrossFit for four or five days a week is another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit is good. I mean, yeah. I think anybody... I think most people have had this experience where if you're sedentary for a little while and then you do like 10 sit-ups and the next day you're like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. But you just got to do 10 sit-ups again and work through that muscle pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it goes really away. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing about yeah. exercise, proper exercise, and by proper I'm leaning more towards uh, weightlifting and high-intensity interval training, whether you're you know, mm-hmm. running or in short bursts or riding a stationary bike in short bursts or doing anything, just do a short burst of time as hard as you can. That actually raises mm-hmm. the amount of human growth hormone and doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to grow. <laughs> you're going to get taller just because you're exercising. <laughs> But you're going to have a better ability to uh, rejuvenate and repair your tissues throughout your life. So the higher your human growth hormone is, the better. And usually by the age of 30, in the studies that they've done, they've shown that uh, levels are only at 20% of their peak uh, during childhood. And then it de- continues to decline like 10 to 12 to 15% each decade. Yeah, I'm always skeptical about those things Yeah, because really like, I mean, I, I think it makes sense that, you know, HGH or human growth hormone levels would kind of decline mm-hmm. um, as you age because you need them when you're kids because you're actually growing. So you wouldn't have as much as an adult as you would as a kid. But y- if you think about the, the people that they're, you know, studying are, are people who are kind of on your average, you know, standard American diet and they aren't getting a lot of exercise and all these kinds of things. So when they say that normally by the time you're an aged person, you know, you basically don't have human growth hormone anymore. I wonder if that is like just a natural result of aging or if it's because people aren't treating themselves properly 
So this stuff is dropping a lot, and that's the average. Yeah. I often wonder about that. Like, yeah, you always have to wonder between what is normal and what is common. Do we even know what normal is? Because exactly. most studies are done on sick people. Exactly. Yeah. And then tested on animals. <laughs> sick animals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you figure that the average person is uh, is eating uh, a lot of uh, carbohydrates, that leads to glycation that ends up gumming up all the works as far as like, you know, everything, just every cell ends up with this kind of uh, sugar coating on it. Um, or every protein has, has this kind of sugar coating. I mean, that's going to gum up the works. So, I mean, that's going to affect everything. It's going to affect, uh, you know, um, the, including the hormone system, I guess is my point. So it could, it could definitely lead to uh, HGH problems. Well, interestingly enough, there's been a lot of studies about how to prolong life. I'm still not quite sure how I feel about that personally. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to prolong things longer than they naturally would go. But whatever, I'll take whatever hand is dealt me. But um, caloric restriction has been found to boost human growth hormone levels as well. And in laboratories, of course, not using many humans. They use a lot of fruit flies and mice and that. <laughs> but uh, they put them on calorie-restricted diets, and they can expand their life lifetimes to something that equals like about maybe 15 years in a human lifespan. Hmm. So that was interesting information. So intermittent fasting, periodically yeah. abstaining from food can actually boost your yeah. Im- immune system and, you know, help keep your insides younger. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the important point. Like not necessarily that it's going to give you a longer life because yeah. if you're sick, then a longer life is torture. Yes. But um, it's just the fact that it kind of, it, it, it makes you more youthful in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could still get hit by a bus at 60 years old, right? So <laughs> where, you know, we were just, you know, restricting your, your food uh, unnecessarily and just, <laughs> you didn't get to, to um, bank on those uh, 15 extra years. But uh, the fact that it actually like makes your body function better mm-hmm. uh, as if you were younger is what makes it kind of the most appealing to me anyway. There's a... And also interesting is the fact that doing a ketogenic diet kind of mimics that mm-hmm. um, fasted state, um, especially if, uh, you know, the whole, a, a lot of that actually comes from um, restricting uh, protein. So you don't necessarily have to restrict all your calories. You have to eliminate, almost eliminate carbs basically, and keep your, your protein at a moderate level. And by keeping that protein at that moderate level state, it kind of mimics that, um, that caloric restriction, even though you can load up on as much fat as you want to. So that's a way to kind of reap the benefits without going hungry. (laughs) You'll be plenty satisfied. Indeed. Yeah. Well, there's this, um, weird study that they did i think that one okay so i'll just talk about this one (laughs) um they the researchers took blood from 18 year old humans and injected the plasma from that blood into 12 month old mice so they did this for twice a week for three weeks 
And I just have to interject with a question. Why did they use human blood? Why didn't they use mouse blood? (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) after they did this, the mice became more active and they had improvements in learning and memory. And they also did this other freaky experiment where they connected two mice together through their vascular system, an old mouse and a young mouse. And the young mouse felt worse and the old mouse felt better. But (laughs) I'm not sucking the life force. Yeah. Um, So I guess this means that there is some component in the blood or the plasma, some kind of life force, as you say, that keeps people young which brings out all kinds of scary scary implications like if you think of the old legends of vampires and you have the spirit cooking thing uh, so it's not <laughs> anything that I would recommend of course but if you are ill like chronically ill and you need blood donations you might want to think twice about who you're getting your blood from <laughs> yeah just find a healthy person and sow yourself to them. <laughs> Is that your next study, Doug? I won't be finding that one. <laughs> no. I honestly, like, when I read about that, I was just kind of like, wait a minute, what? So this person, these people actually got a grant or, like, funding by saying, we're going to, like, sew together a young mouse and an old mouse and see what happens. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Something seems very sick about that, but that's just an aside. Well, something that's a little bit more tame, um, but again, involving mice. So how much can you apply this to humans? But they gave them NAD, and I am blanking on what NAD is. Um, Uh, Nicotinic something or other. Yeah. Look it up while I'm talking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway, they gave mice NAD for just one week, and... They uh, actually, they had to kill the mice so they could look at their tissues and they compared them to younger mice and they found that the old mice had tissues that compared to young mice. So this was just Mm -hmm. one week of NAD, Doug? Yeah, it's a nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. Yeah, and that... uh, kind of boosts the workings of the mitochondria, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. But they Send do sell that a, in uh, supplement form. They sell like NAD or NADH. Yeah. And actually reading this article made me kind of look into this more and I ended up really going down the rabbit hole on it. And it is extremely compl- uh, complicated. Mm-hmm. But from my my just peripheral kind of muse- like lookings on it, I would say that NADH is not the one that you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the NAD plus is the one that you want. (laughs) And I can't remember why. Are you experiencing aging? Are you aged? (laughs) Probably. A senior moment. (laughs) So I'm I'm curious to uh, talk for a little bit about the social implications of the uh, diseases of aging happening to younger and younger people. Um, hmm. Felt like you gave that quote earlier, Erica. Was that from Truman? Truman. Not Truman. Was it Truman? Um, 
just the idea that, you know, like how does our society function when the children are becoming sicker and sicker? Cause, uh, lately I've been just doing some, some reading and some watching about like the history, uh, like p- during world war one and like post world war one, like before world war two happened. And there was a really interesting time in the world. And one of the things that's really fascinating to me is, uh, Russia and how they, uh, essentially converted. Now the, I believe this was during the time of Stalin. So, you know, there's no great, uh, love there for the, the leadership, but what the people did during that time themselves was pretty incredible. And they transformed their society into a, a fully industrialized society within the span of like, I don't know, like seven years. Um, hmm. and just the, the amount of work that they did and the amount of stuff that they generated, uh, was just incredible. Um, and I, I laugh thinking about, again, I'm not making light of the Stalinist era, but what I'm laughing thinking about is like uh, how people in America today rail on like, you know, the foreigners are taking our jobs and they're all going to China and Mexico. And what I think is like, do you think that America could really handle, you know, the means of production these days? I don't, I don't think that, that they could, um, you know, because we have a population that is, uh, uh, the majority of our population is, is ill in some way or another. Um, and the Mm -hmm. amount of work that it would take to be a self-sustaining society uh, I, I don't think that, uh, that the modern Western, um, population can handle it. And so I'm, I'm curious about the social implications of these, uh, diseases hitting younger and younger people that, uh, it's just going to decline, you know, from here on out, because mm-hmm. at a certain point recovery from the state that we're in requires, uh, a healthy citizenry, which we, uh, we do not have. And, and, you know, how, how could we, um, with what's going on, you know, and, and it, so then the question becomes, is that possible in the next 10 years, 20, 30 years? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to think not, I mean, I tend to lean towards pessimism and that it's probably not possible. Yeah. I think I'm with you. Like, I mean, that's a lot of hard labor to do. And if you're on all these medications, you got doctor's appointments, you don't feel well, who's going to get out and do all the work? I mean, the yeah. only the only area that I see that it may be some kind of benefit is that they might have fewer recruits for the armed services because they can't pass the physicals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, you know, but, uh, it's that's, not even you know, just that's the physical aspect of it. Yeah, is mental, too. Yeah, we were talking before the show exactly. about how. You know, all these young children have these aged diseases and, you know, are experiencing these illnesses that you wouldn't get till you were 50 or 60 or even 70. Mm -hmm. But they're not maturing either. And Mm -hmm. we talked about that in previous shows about this entitled generation and, you know, precious snowflakes and... I mean, what have we done? And we know since our show from last week about the schooling system that it's really concerning. I mean, I work with 18 and 20-year-olds, and we do physical labor, standing and working, and I'm twice their age, and all day long all I hear is, I'm so tired, I need to sit down, and I'm thinking... What what are you doing that you're so exhausted? And, you know, I I can't help but uh, notice 
uh, massive consumption of soda and, Mm -hmm. you know, energy drinks, quote unquote, and then snacking all day long. And it's kind of a joke now, like, do you even eat? And, you know, I eat before I leave. And (laughs) I mean, I eat before I go and I eat after I leave. And it's just for me, it's concerning because, as you said, Jonathan, like these are the people and I've said this many times that are going to be in charge of everything when we become elderly and they can't make it through an eight-hour workday mm-hmm. without complaining all day long. And, you know, I have to really bite my tongue and not be like, look, suck it up, you know. <laughs> You're not digging trenches. You're not in the coal mines, you know. Mm-hmm. This is pretty cush mm-hmm. job for the most part. So it comes back yeah. to that entitlement and then... You know, we've talked extensively about helicopter parenting and, you know, parents don't make the kids do anything anymore. Get out there and mow the lawn all day long, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, that's too hard on them. Or <laughs> because they're sick and maybe they have asthma and, okay, so maybe mowing the lawn isn't a good thing. But, you know, there's got to be other things. Just get outside. Yeah, I agree with the attitude aspect of things. Uh, you know, there's certainly whether or not people can physically handle work, they, uh, <clears throat> they have a hard time mentally handling it as well. Um, so I'm not trying to stand on a soapbox or anything. I'm, I'm not in a peak physical condition, but I like to think that I don't complain when there's physical labor to be done, you know, but yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, and it's concerning because, you know, what the future holds, we all don't really know. And if these things are stressing children out now, imagine when the world gets a little bit more harsh Mm -hmm. and you do have to, you know, gather firewood or hunt for your food or, I mean, you know, or walk to get water. I mean, I think if something that caused such a radical change were to happen suddenly, there would just be a massive die-off. And the ones who survived, yeah, yeah, the ones who survived would only be better for it because all the Wi-Fi would be gone, all the McDonald's (laughs) wouldn't be gone, (laughs) they wouldn't be exposed to toxic medications and medical treatments. So on one hand, I mean, it could be, be bad for some people, and on the other hand, the people who survived, it could be kind of a blessing in disguise if, you know, they looked at it a certain way. But all that McDonald's yeah, food would never go bad because yeah, it doesn't, it be there. <laughs> doesn't ever <laughs> rot or mold. But that would only last a couple of years and then that would be it. I don't know. I think that, yeah, yeah, then what are you going to do? A situation like that is going to be bad for the majority of people. Yes. I think, yeah. Well, just the mental just toll of it alone. Society is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, may, it may seem kind of cold to say this, but have we not brought ourselves to this point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's hard to say when you, like, say you present a hypothetical scenario and you know that people are going to suffer. Mm-hmm. And if you're a compassionate person and then suffering of other people bothers you. And so it's, it's hard to say, like, you kind of had it coming, you know, hmm. but, um, 
Yeah. You know, there's there's objective truth and then there's emotion and then they're not always uh, in line with each other. Yeah. And then a lot of ways. And I mean, not just, you know, people who are having health problems, just people in general, you basically get what you ask for, whatever you continue to focus your energy and attention and your activity towards. That's what you're going to get, whether it's something that's for your benefit or if it's not for your benefit. And just, you know, for the topic of the show, if you're consistently asking for in whatever way that occurs, you know, bad food and entertainment and laziness, I mean, you're going to reap the consequences of that. That's just how it works. So yeah, we, what are um, you know? So like, whenever we get into kind of a, a negative topic discussion like this, <laughs> seemingly negative, you know, um, trying to think about what are the possible solutions. Well, we've talked about diet. Um, that's a huge one, um, you know. And if you can, if you can have your children be on a on a healthy diet from early on, obviously that's much more beneficial. Um, and I would say at the very, very, very least avoiding refined sugars and processed foods at the very least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but then for, for people themselves, uh, I, or I'm sorry, I misspoke there for people who are adults who may have already been established in a certain type of diet for a long time, uh, changing to the, uh, you know, the, the ketogenic diet, or if you don't want to go that far, then at least like the paleo diet, uh, paradigm, mm-hmm. um, is, is highly beneficial, uh, but it takes some work, uh, and it's uh, it's not very pleasant. <laughs> the results are pleasant, but the process is not very enjoyable. Uh, so it's kind of a hard sell. It's like you, you're going to feel like shit, pardon my French, for, for a little while. Um, you know, you'll come out better on the other side. Yeah. Um, you know, quitting a quitting a sugar addiction as an adult is a is a pretty nasty process. And also mentally, um, did I just have a mental moment? Or, <laughs> or I just blank? No, there was this lady who did a study. Seniors moments now. No, it's back. It's back. There was this lady who did a study uh, where she gathered a group of older men. I forget how old they were. I think they were in their seventies, and she took them off on this retreat where they had to act like they were living their lives as they were like twenty or thirty years ago. So they had to talk about things as it was back in those days. They had to do the same things that they did. And they actually have physical changes like their posture improved, their pains, aches and pains went away. So a lot of this is mental where your outlook on life, how you view the world, how you view yourself plays a big part in how you age. Yeah, they called it the counterclockwise study. Yeah. It was done in 1981. So it said by them acting younger, the men's body also exhibited signs of youth Mm -hmm. compared to a control group who didn't get the full treatment. So they put them back to 1959, like gave them even newspapers and uh, historical events that were happening at the time. But it said the men who did were, were not in the control group. They became suppler, sat taller, showed greater manual dexterity, and even their eyesight improved. So that that's your next study to duplicate, Doug. 
Well, maybe that's a new theme park. I want you to take us back to 1975. Yes. <laughs> 1975? Yes. I don't remember. I was born in 1975. That was, uh, I'm not going to uh, remember a whole lot from that. So then you'll be really supple. You'll be as smooth as a baby's bottom. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new rebirthing. <laughs> That totally makes sense uh, intuitively to me because you you consider the environment that you have. I mean, like when you have the computer, high-speed web access, you know, the iPad, easy access to food, um, very easy access to heat where you just turn up a knob and your house is warm, you know, all this stuff is easy, easy, easy. Um, Then, uh, you know, your your entire state of mind, I think, uh, conforms to that paradigm. Um, but yeah, when you have to, when you are in an environment where you have to work for things, uh, everything about you begins to change. And so if you were to put yourself, like you said, in the study, in a, in a simulated environment, uh, that was like that, I can totally see how everything about you would start to change to reflect that environment. Mm-hmm. And that kind of mm. brings us back to the beginning of the show. Where we're talking about how time does not exist. So if time doesn't <laughs> exist and these men are in this experiment and they start viewing themselves like they were in their 20s or 30s or however old they were supposed to be acting like they were. So it can be whatever time you want it to be, mm-hmm. kind of. <laughs> I don't know where exactly you I'm going with this, reality. but... I don't either. Kind of in a sense, I'm not quite sure what, what point I'm trying to make, but it's just weird to me that that kind yeah. of experiment will work. Yeah, but you just, see I it. When, well, oh, go on. I think oh, sorry. I, I think it's a, a fairly no-brainer. Like you said, it's a very similar thing. You know, yeah, you can mix it up with the new agey idea of like creating your own reality, but that's not entirely accurate because there's a certain element of people who think that, oh, I just make everything whatever I want it to be. And like, no, you don't. Um, but in a you have to be able to deal with gray areas and nuances of what that means. Because like, for instance, mm-hmm. with pain, you, there's a certain amount of physical pain that you can actually think away. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the implications of that? You know, and if that is true, then. It, the same thing like with what you said, if you live a lifestyle and hold an attitude where you are more capable of things than you would otherwise think yourself of being, then that becomes possible. So it's there, there's gray areas in that whole create your own reality uh, idea. I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, w- I was saying that in jest. I wasn't actually uh, necessarily yeah. um, mocking it, but, but I know what you're saying. And I think it goes back to the show we did about the placebo effect a while ago. Yeah. Uh, we had lots of examples of people um, who kind of were just able to kind of take on the right attitude or, you know, get rid of stress or, or do something wholly in the mental realm that was able to have uh, an effect on um, their physical state. So, I mean, we, we know that it's possible. Where there's lots of examples of that. So, I mean, maybe um, doing this kind of uh, um, counterclockwise study is a way of kind of like just making – just kind of immersing somebody a little bit more in that kind of placebo state, like really um, having a lot of external factors that kind of confirm um, even subconsciously. Uh, actually, maybe it's more important to do it subconsciously, but um, yeah, no, I can, I can see how it works for sure. 
Well, isn't that kind of what we're actually doing now in life? Like, who's to say it's really 2016? Like, we are inside of our bodies looking out through our eyes. We're basically reading and responding and reacting to the environment. So anybody can tweak the environment and you would have internal changes. Yes. And again, I don't know where I'm going with this. (laughs) But it's just weird. (laughs) Because basically we are in an experiment, like we're thrust in our bodies and we're first forced to interact with our environments. And it doesn't really matter what time it is or what time it isn't. Yeah. What is now is all there is. Well, it's yeah. interesting. I have a 97-year-old yeah, kind of gra- yeah. grandfather and he, um, you know, he's getting older and experiencing the degenerating of his body but his mental state is still really strong and clear and when he talks about his experiences of world war ii it's almost like he goes back into that time and he becomes so animated and every single detail about this that and the other thing and um i really enjoy spending time with him and he keeps saying to me you know, nobody ever wants to hear about this or they don't want to listen or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I feel like in that moment, he is experiencing that counterclockwise yeah. reality. He is, has all these mm. thoughts and emotions and experiences and it's almost like he becomes a different person. Yeah, they've done those experiments in nursing homes where all they did was ask an older person like what kind of music that they really liked when they were younger and they let them listen to it. And these people had Alzheimer's or whatever, and they were just sitting slumped in a chair all day. And they put the headphones on them, and they just became animated. Like, if they couldn't speak before, they started forming simple sentences. So it's like, you know, if you change your environment, you can transport yourself back in time. And on the other hand, can you transfer yourself (laughs) forward in time? (laughs) Well, yeah, that's that's a very clear, I think that's pretty clearly... uh, proven like you said you know that 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 dynamic exists that you can you can revert uh certain conditions by just by uh invoking memories mm-hmm. um or different sensory inputs but eric had a similar uh experience to what you said with your grandfather that um the, an older man that i know in the area i haven't talked to him in some time but uh he uh, the last time we spoke you know he's he's old he's probably i would say late 80s early 90s um and he's ostensibly feeble, uh, has a hard time getting around. But when he talks about his childhood and when, you know, you would wake, like, cause where we live is like an old mining town. And back in the day it was booming. There was like a quarter million people here. And, uh, he would wake up in the morning and the streets would be full shoulder to shoulder with people at like seven o'clock in the morning and the bread would be baking and there'd be music playing and people would be selling flowers in the street. You know, it was alive and moving. Um, and when he talks about that, he just bing, he's like a completely different person. Mm-hmm. So it's, hmm. it's really interesting to see that transformation. And I think that there's some, the reason, I think I have a personal theory that part of the reason that we find that era, well, I guess not everybody finds like the turn of the century romantic, but I do. And I, I think part of the reason for that is that that, that era was full of much more, uh, power of life than we have now. I think now hmm. in our culture, we have much less, we are, we are technologically supplemented, we are medically supplemented, uh, and we are physically degenerated. And we have a lot less of that, you know, joie de vivre 
that yeah how that do you define uh, how do you define power of life it's i i don't know i don't have like a like a uh, an easy definition for it i think it's um <clears throat> when the uh i guess just riffing that that when the the um the means of uh of living and interacting with other people and creating uh joy and experiences for yourself actually comes from being physically and mentally involved yeah it, lo- locally face to face in the environment with mm-hmm. the stuff that's around you to yeah, where you're like more you know an active engaged member of your own life versus passively just accepting whatever falls into your lap or whatever people think are cool is cool yeah i know what you mean yeah that's good yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard to like really nail down but is there's something about getting out like in, whether it's into the street or into the field, you know, with your animals or like going to somebody's house, sitting down, making some tea or coffee or whatever, like face-to-face interaction, creation of actual real experiences in reality, that creates a power of life. And I think that that's what we're, what we're missing now because everything, um, you know, granted that that does exist, um, but it's so diminished compared to what it used to be. The vast majority of interactions now are, uh, or digital yeah um yeah. you know and it wasn't even that long ago i mean i'm not that old i'm in my early 40s but when i was a kid we would go around to people's houses and visit and we wouldn't always even call first <laughs> it was like let's mm-hmm. stop by so-and-so's house okay yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah and they wouldn't be offended that you dropped no, in. that's what people you know? did they came a calling yeah. on sundays yeah yeah i think that we've lost a certain aspect of our culture in that regard uh you know and unfortunately now like that that exists like maybe in the older generation and then in the uh in the younger generation it's it, there's a there's a, a weak uh approximation of it being tr- like that hipsters are trying to do mm-hmm. by making you know like yeah. bespoke like having you know like real interactions because it's like cool and ironic but it's not real you know i don't know what i'm exactly what i'm trying to say there but it's like i think the reason for that that people love that like you know i know that bespoke is a buzzword and like artisanal is a buzzword but i think the reason people are drawn to those things is because it evokes a sense of that time uh in our culture when when people interacted face to face and actually made real things Mm. and real experiences Mm. And more social animals, you know. We're, yeah, we're they, used to living together in families and tribes and communities. Yeah, there was more producing and a lot less consuming. Yeah. 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 It's just oh. like we earlier you Walmart. Every you know, and I I go to Walmart. I'm not above it because <laughs> it's cheap, right? <laughs> but every time I go, I'm, my mind is blown because it's like, look at all this shit look at how easy it is for us to get like thing you know mm-hmm. like what is ostensibly like a, a nice chair uh is made in china where some poor kid was exploited to make it and now it costs for me five dollars you know like this is ridiculous what like the the amount of access that we have easy access to materials uh, and material goods that we are not invested in in any way and it becomes a throwaway society as well. 
Like when that chair yeah. breaks, usually because it's made out of plastic, mm. you throw it away, you go buy a new one. Whereas yeah, we've become yeah. a society of throwaway people, too. <laughs> Yeah, we're exactly. made of plastic, so like, <laughs> and when we stop working, you throw them away. <laughs> exactly. So, I've, thank thank you for tying that back in because I feel like I'm starting to rant a little bit. But to tie it into our topic, that's you know, it, yeah, the uh, the the part of I think another symptom of the physical degeneration of younger people now um, is is also tied in with the fact that we don't we're not involved in our world in our reality. Um, we we siphon it off um, to exploited third world countries, um, you know, where now the balance of of involvement in the means of production is so out of whack um, that people are getting like below subsistence wages to create goods for a society that's fat and lazy and just buys all this stuff for much much less than it's actually worth, and they should be, you know, like they're. <laughs> there should be some form of equity around the globe. The reason that, you know, um, the fact that it's not is is creating one part of the, the global population that is extremely exploited and, and basically uh, slaves to the other part of the globe, which is, uh, you know, fat and lazy and wealthy. And, and uh, you know, so what you get from a fat, lazy, wealthy culture is sick kids. Yeah. There you go. Not nice, but true. So one final question. <laughs> what would normal <laughs> aging look like in a perfect world? Because eventually, you know, we're born, everybody dies eventually. Or so we're told. <laughs> Nobody lives forever. <laughs> but there have been tales of old where people were very long-lived. Um. Mm. I don't know what the maximum lifespan of a human is. I don't think anybody actually knows, but what would normal aging look like? You wouldn't I was thinking about this earlier. And I think that like, uh, you know, setting aside the idea that you could live 600 years, I don't know, you know, is that possible? (laughs) You know, that, that, that exists in the, uh, in the myth, in Mm -hmm. in human myth, uh, that there were people that lived Mm -hmm. that long. And perhaps that was true at one point, but, uh, I think at the very least, you know, you should, you should begin peaking like in your teens where you can actually start doing like physical labor or, or actually like producing things. And you should then rise. Perhaps your like peak physical condition is like from your twenties to like your thirties, but you actually hold an approximation of that peak physical condition into your fifties mm-hmm. or even your sixties at which point you're not actually considered mm-hmm. old until you're in like your seventies, eighties, nineties, because like I said, you know, my, my dad is, he's over 80 years old and he split his own wood this year. You know, there are people who are ostensibly old who are able to perform uh, arduous physical tasks like that. And now there are a lot of people in yeah. our society who are in their thirties who can't even think about doing that. So that's where I think ideal mm-hmm. physical health is you should have some sort of peak physical condition from like teens all the way through your fifties. Mm-hmm. And absence of well, if you any think kind about of it chronic too, I mean, illness, absence of pain, the ability to maintain well, your mental faculties until the day you die. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, I mean, if you think about it, people didn't used to retire, right? Like, if somebody was working on their farm mm-hmm. back in the day, they just kind of kept on working on it until they died one day. 
and then that like that was it but they didn't have like there wasn't this slow painful decline into uselessness Mm -hmm. it just didn't exist you know people people kept on working until they died and then but but you can't imagine that these days well now a lot of people retire and then die (laughs) you know what i mean yeah so it's like they work yeah. 30, 40 years at the, you know, bank. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're retired six years. Retirement. Yeah. I mean, they retire six months and then they die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. They're kind of getting to like, oh, oh go, go ahead, Eric. I was just going to say, getting back to our topic of last week uh, with education and just teaching in general, maybe a thing to do would be to get those people that work up until their 50s and 60s and do the hard physical labor then they teach the youth <laughs> and become mentors See, mm. I'm, I'm thinking ideally here yeah. you know that's your next research yeah. study <laughs> <laughs> you know and then they they teach by example and teach the laziness out of the millennials or whatever you call them the youngsters good luck what well, that's the master-apprentice relationship, right? I mean, generally, or archetypally, the the master would be quite uh, old and experienced, and the apprentice would be very young and inexperienced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Young grasshopper. Yeah, right? Wax on, wax off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... I just want to say, too, I know that, like, we've talked a lot today about the topic of physical labor that seems to be coming up a lot. But I think that that's justified in the sense that that is what propels a successful society is people who can perform the means of production of their own goods, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I, I'm imagining in my mind somebody being like, what do you think? Everybody should just be like you know, working class and like slave from morning till night, you know, and I'm like, no, not necessarily. Uh, it's just that people should be able to do that and, and, and be willing to do that. Um, the reason that we're not, uh, or the result of the fact that we're um, not able or generally willing to do that kind of work is, is resulted in the society that we see. Hmm. What about animals? <laughs> what about them? <laughs> yeah. they, we can train them to do the work for us. <laughs> do they have senior moments too? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I don't. Oh my my dog to, my dog totally has senior moments. Where she like spaces out. <laughs> she started to get bad at like uh, locating me by sound. Yeah, my cat. So too. If I like, yeah, if I say her name, she'll look in the opposite direction. I don't know if it's bouncing off the walls in a weird way or what, but it's like become more noticeable. So I, I think that pets mm. do have scenic moments. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder that you if my cat up, is deaf. <laughs> or when you throw the ball and they look at you like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go and get that. <laughs> I, I remember reading at one point that. Uh, it's interesting you brought that up because there was, uh, and I wish I could remember their name. There was an Australian veterinarian who postulated that dogs, that the average lifespan of a dog should actually be between 30 and 40 years. Mm. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and Taking that whole seven a, year per human life thing? Yeah. 
And well, the the reason that it's not is because the um, because of uh, diet and breeding. Yeah. And and now we hmm. you know we've realized domesticated dogs live much much less uh, full lives than they actually should. But that a that a, an old dog should technically be like like thirty five. Well, that's interesting you say that because you see that so much more with dogs too, developing cancers and rare diseases before they're 10 mm. years old. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty cushioned as well. So do we want to get the lowdown from Zoya? Yeah, that would be a good time yeah. to do that. Okay. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and this week's topic is caring for senior dogs and cats. I would like to share with you a recording made by Benfield Pet Hospital that helps you understand the special health needs and considerations senior dogs and cats have. Senior pets are awesome, lifelong companions. And remember that many issues and diseases can be prevented by feeding your pet with species-appropriate diet and giving them, giving them lots of loveys. Here's the recording. Enjoy. Caring for your senior pet. Hi, I'm Dr. Anderson, a veterinarian at Banfield Pet Hospital. As your partner in pet care, it's our goal to help keep your pet healthy and happy. Today, we're going to share some information with you about caring for your senior pets. Your pet's age is the first indicator that they're entering their golden years. Large breed dogs, such as Great Danes and Mastiffs, are considered seniors at six years, while smaller breeds like Miniature Poodles and Dachshunds become seniors at around nine years, and cats are considered senior when they're ten. Just like humans, signs that your pet is aging may include gray or white on their head and face, loss of muscle mass, and less get-up-and-go. You may even notice a blue haziness in your pet's eyes. This is a normal effect of aging called nuclear sclerosis. Although this does not typically affect your pet's eyesight, your Banfield veterinarian will check to make sure that any cloudiness is not caused by a more serious problem like cataracts. Some senior pets can experience age-related hearing loss. This means that your pet can be easily startled if you approach them from behind, or harder to wake from sleeping. Take extra steps to protect your pet from hazards they might not be able to hear, like children or cars. Your pet can also learn to obey hand signals for basic commands. Some pets will start to develop masses or lumps in different areas on their body. Most of these are harmless, but you should let your veterinarian know about any mass, existing or new, that you find on your pet since they could be a sign of cancer. Joint inflammation, known as arthritis, can make it harder for your pet to climb into the car or jump up on your bed. They might wake up in the morning and seem stiff or become more sensitive to changes in temperature. Your Banfield veterinarian can prescribe oral pain medication to help with the inflammation and discomfort caused by arthritis. If your pet starts to drink more water or urinate more than usual, it could be a sign pointing to several disorders like diabetes, liver and kidney disease, or a hormonal problem. Your veterinarian can suggest blood and urine tests to help identify potential problems early. As your pet grows older, it's very important to schedule twice yearly checkups with your Banfield veterinarian. 
These comprehensive nose-to-tail exams help identify and treat age-related issues as soon as possible to maintain your pet's quality of life. During the exam, your veterinarian will also talk with you about personalized recommendations for screening tests or procedures to detect and treat diseases early, like additional blood work or x-rays. Good nutrition is equally important for pets of all ages. Your senior dog or cat's metabolism might work more slowly. Senior diets can help keep older pets healthier and are lower in calories to help prevent weight gain. Lower protein foods can help keep older cats' kidneys in good working order. Your Banfield veterinarian can help you choose the perfect food for your pet's senior years. Finally, one of the most common diseases we find is dental disease. It causes more than just bad breath and gingivitis. In fact, did you know that 78% of dogs and 68% of cats over age 3 show signs of dental disease? And older pets have a much higher occurrence of dental disease. If it's not treated, dental disease can lead to painful infections, tooth loss, and serious illness in other parts of your pet's body, like the heart and kidneys. So, you can see why twice-yearly oral exams are so important. And just like us, our pets need annual dental cleanings as prescribed to stay healthy. Thanks for listening. Remember, you know your pet best, and we know how to help you keep them healthy. For more information on this and other pet health care topics, visit Banfield.com. Healthy, healthy guts. Yeah. My cat is way overdue for a checkup. <laughs> He's an octogenarian. <laughs> well, thanks, Ray. Um So I guess to, uh, to wrap up our show today, we had discussed uh, a recipe and thought it would be funny to do uh, dry-aged steaks. <laughs> Talking about aging, <clears throat> so um, it's it's pretty simple. It's it's not uh, like some of the other things that we've talked about uh, in the past. For the recipe segment, is uh, more of a technique and less of an actual recipe uh, per se. But um, so if you take a a steak that you get from the store, you can really do this with any cut, but uh, it works best with like a ribeye. Um, or like a New York strip or something like that. Um, <clears throat> uh, put it on the counter, uh, you know, in like a, a bowl or on a plate, uh, and salt it uh, pretty heavily. Um, I mean, you really want to get it completely covered in salt. Uh, and let it sit uh, for about an hour. And you'll see that the salt draws a lot of moisture uh, out of the, the meat. Um, at which point, uh, when you see that there's like a pool of the the water that's been drawn out of the meat, um, take it out and rinse the salt off, uh, and then let it, uh, drain again, you know, from the rinsing so that that moisture comes off and then pat it dry. Uh, so now you've, you've salted it, you've cleaned the salt off because if you leave that on, it'll make it like impossible to eat later on. It'd be too salty. Um, <clears throat> so then you get it dry, uh, and then either this works best with like a vacuum sealed bag, but you can also wrap it up really tight. Uh, in some kind of a wrap, or you can actually like coat it in uh, fat, like coat it in lard, and then wrap it up really tight. Basically, anything that prevents 
oxygen from coming into contact with the meat is what you want to go for. Um, so you get it sealed in some fashion, whether it's by through the vacuum bag or with fat and some other kind of wrap, uh, and then put it in the fridge. And as long as it is actually properly sealed, not in contact with the air, you can let that sit in your fridge for up to a month. Um, at which point then you take it out and, uh, and cook it like any other steak. And what that does is over time, the juices in the meat, um, that are left, uh, move around within the meat while it's sitting there, um, and actually loosen the fibers, uh, loosen the, uh, the connective tissues so that you end up with a really, uh, tender, flavorful steak, uh, when you do cook it. So that's dry aged steaks. Is wow. basically, that's basically mm. the process, but it, uh, uh, you do want to be very careful. Like I said, absolutely make sure that it's totally sealed from coming into contact with any kind of air. Um, cause that's the important part. Otherwise it will then rot. Um, you know, but if it's, uh, if it's sealed and you don't like, yeah, you don't want to go like 60, 90 days with it. Uh, maybe you could, but I've never tried that. <laughs> um, usually like 30 days is a good, uh, is a good time. So if wow. you have the patience and a couple extra cuts of meat, I'd say try it out. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds really good. Yeah. So, uh, and then you have, you know, the pleasure of, of making a dinner for yourself that would cost you like $60 at a restaurant. So. Yeah, exactly. Food, food establishment. <laughs> 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 So cool. Well, that's our, our show for today. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, please uh, tune in on Sunday at uh, noon Eastern time. Check out uh, radio.sat.net for the SOT radio show. Um, and uh, we will be back uh, next week with another topic. We have some uh, surprises coming up, uh, which we will not tell you about because they're surprises. Um, so be sure to <laughs> Be sure to, to check into the show and see what we have coming uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so we'll see you next Friday. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye.